You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Jerry for Genevieve, episode six, I believe. Um, this episode, I have a very special guest. Uh, Brett is a friend and neighbor. Brett, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, Jerry for Genevieve. It's really just a podcast about a father just trying to have some enlightening conversations that his daughter might be able to reap some kind of knowledge and wisdom from, um, you know, in the future and selfishly kind of go over those uh, topics of discussion myself so I'm better uh, prepared to kind of have those conversations with her when she's ready to have those conversations. Um, Today, well, let's uh, recap last week just for a second. Uh, Katie, my wonderful wife, was in here. Uh, Genevieve was running around. We talked just a little bit about um, character traits that we thought were important um, for kids to have. Um, We started this episode with Bill in episode two. Brett, you have two boys, one five, and Julian's one. Mm -hmm. One, so one and five. Um, So it's... It, throwing you on the spot is, isn't maybe the the best way to do that. But as far as character traits, anything pop out? Honesty. Ah, I like that. Kindness. That's really good. My my dad uh, talked about a little bit, but integrity being a huge mm. part. And I think that's kind of all of our lists uh, kind of came together. And I think the thing we found in common was – it wasn't about them being great athletes or the smartest kids mm-hmm. or and it it was all stuff that can definitely be taught and it was usually stuff that involved you know yeah just being a good person and working with other people and um not not uh what is they called astrophysics not brain surgery yeah, yeah. <laughs> not the hard stuff but that actually is a great well, an okay segue to what I'd like to talk about today because um, – so we want to create kids that you know grow up a certain way. We all realize we only have so much control. We can do everything right and it all goes sideways, but we do what we can. Um, but a huge part of them growing up, maybe the biggest part is how they're raised at home, but – it seems like maybe the second biggest factor is their education. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you have a career in education. Um, kids, now Genevieve just started kindergarten this year. So for the next 12, 13 years, she's going to be you know, part of some kind of educational system. And I didn't do the math, but for 18 years, nine months a year, the majority of their waking hours during those days, they're going to see their teacher more than they're going to see their parents. They're going to be socialized and what they learn is going to dictate how successful and kind of happy they are possibly or content after they get out of school. Um, So my wife and I both taught down in Houston for four or five years. Uh, You taught Mm -hmm. for a time and are currently in the, uh, education arena. You want to tell them kind of what you do? Sure. So um, I'm the director of development at a K-12 software company. So we design curriculum. We have software that is used in high schools and middle schools. And we also have a set of international schools yeah. too. But I started out as a high school English teacher. And I did right. that for about the same same amount of time, maybe right. four, four years, I think. And uh, that was here in Metro Detroit. So – that's it. What, what I'd like to hear is when I think about my school experience, and I'd like to hear about yours too, um, you know, went to middle and high school in the 90s. Um, it was blackboards and outdated school texts. You know, my, my history books didn't have the last three presidents in there because they were mm-hmm. always, you know, like 12 years old or whatever. Um, and that was just kind of how things were done because not, not not because they weren't trying to be updated, but it wasn't the internet age yet. It wasn't the information age. It's not something that they could, you know, zap you new information right away. Um, when did you graduate? 2003. Okay. Yeah. 
Uh, 99. So really. Not that different. Right. I mean, not much is going to change in four years. Very similar. But at right after 2003, I mean, in 98, 99, when I was graduating, we had what a, I forget what it was, Juno emails and AOL CD dial-ups yeah. where it took a half hour for a web page to load. Yeah. And then in the next 10 years, you're having smartphones and Wi-Fi and high speed. And then the 10 years after that to get us to where we are now. Completely different. Completely different life. I think my experience was probably the same as you because yeah. in high school mm -hmm. – Maybe once a week we go to a le uh, you know a library and there would yeah. be some computers there and we do some directed research. Oregon Trail, right? Uh, <laughs> that, that was pretty much it, you know. Right. So it wasn't it wasn't in the classroom. It, it yep. was an experience that you would go to for a little while every week. Right. Um, so I can't imagine. I imagine it was probably the same when you talk about technology in, in the classroom. Very much so. And then, so what year did you start teaching? Uh, let's see. Four years after that. Maybe 2008, 2009. Okay. So you actually started teaching before um, I did because I, I went in the military, did some other stuff, and then then got into the teaching arena. Yeah. Um, but but not that much for that. I guess it was like 2010 for four or five years. Um, and I guess because we had gone through all that, the the internet stuff, the smartphone stuff, this this digital boom – I think I was expecting the education um, side of things to kind of reflect that. Yeah. But then when I walk into the classroom, my first day of teaching, chalkboard, outdated text, basically it, it could have been, you know, the classroom that I had graduated out of. There's a there's a great image that shows a, like a typical classroom today yeah. and then a classroom from what, like the 20s? Mm-hmm. And it, it looks 90% identical, <laughs> yeah. right? You know, it's gray and white, but it shows kids in rows and desks, you know, yeah. blackboard. You know, it's basically exactly the same for a lot of classrooms. And that's kind of a scary thing if you think about it. It is. A hundred years passes by and yeah. we haven't really changed much, but we've learned a ton more about how people yeah. learn. And But we haven't really changed the setting for where they learn. But I love that you bring that up because I, I think that's one thing we really want to hit hard today is – um. Yeah, it hasn't changed. Should have changed. What was the original purpose? Is that still the purpose? Uh -huh. and, um, and and maybe it was naive of me to think that the the classroom would have changed that much in whatever it was ten fifteen years. Um, I mean, you got. I mean, education is kind of like government. You got this big hulking ship. You know, yeah. to turn that around. And, and things can only change so fast. And there were some efforts and some funding. We had these things called, uh, when I was teaching, called cows, which were these big things called computers on wheels, I think they stood mm. for. And, you know, they said, oh, technology is the future. We need to get on this. We need to make it part of the, the classroom. There'd be 22 computers in these things. But you'd have an hour allotted to use them. Yeah. It would take 15 minutes to get them all out. Half of them didn't work. Half of them weren't charged. You get them open. You do some mundane test that really doesn't have anything to do with technology. Um, so, 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 so maybe well, it's that not part. Just to me. I think the technology. It's not just a hardware problem. It's how do you use technology for learning? So, like, they could have had right. fully charged laptops, and it could have been great. It could have been everything. But if you still mm -hmm. don't know how best to use it for learning, they're right. just going to sit there and collect dust. Uh, yeah. You know, I remember working at a school district where they had gotten a grant for iPads, right? Uh -huh. You know, and they got a whole bunch of iPads, but nobody knew what the hell to do with them. <laughs> so they sat there unused because, you know, the teachers really didn't know how to, to change their – They utilize them and yeah. change their practice with this resource. Yeah. And I don't think it's – but I think we had – we might have had different experiences because my first job when I – after I got out of student teaching, you know, I graduated – First job that I got was at kind of um, like an alternative school. Like it was a, it wasn't a general education. It was a, sure. it was a second high school within a district. One that they opened up. Right. So in this one, the program was blended. So students work online. They also come in person, like three to four days a week, um, or five. And everyone was given a laptop, uh, and they were all given internet connection at home. So, so I, I walked into a, an environment where class like technology. Was uh, yeah. was already like a big part of the goal. It wasn't something they were trying to catch up on. You know, like right. a, it was like no, this is a part of the. Sound program like they were ahead of one. the game. 
Yeah, they, they were in the <laughs> – some degree. Because they started something new. You know, they didn't have yeah. to take – they didn't have to take a high school of 800 students and try and con- con- change everything, change right. our whole practice. They started something new and it was like, no, from day one, we're going to have one-to-one you know, mm-hmm. technology. We're going to train teachers of how to use it. Yeah. Kids were given internet access at home too. So like we worked with Comcast to make sure every student had internet at home because uh, yeah. we worked in a very underprivileged area where they didn't have that. Right. So it was a little different for me because going in, it wasn't like I was walking to a space that – was from a different area. It was like right. I was trying to create a vision for something new, right. not like that. Well, I think that's interesting too because I, I think you, when you look at something that you like change, so many times it is easier to feel like if you just level it and start from scratch. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> you're farther off than trying to just you know turn this. Um, and you, you see know, that a lot in education too. Government, education, any kind of big bureaucratic type of thing you would think. Yeah. Huh. But I think in education, though, a way that you see that is either new schools or, or charter schools or something like that or uh, yeah. private schools. Where anytime where a school would start from scratch, right, yeah. they basically have a chance to take an open slate. Right. But if you have a high school that's been around for 80 years, you know, like take where yeah. we are, Plymouth Canton or something like that, been around for what, 100 years, I can imagine, or more or something. Right. You know, so it's, they don't have that chance to start totally from scratch. Yeah. They have to think, what did we do last year and what are we going to do this year? Well, that's interesting too. When I was a kid, it seemed like everywhere just went to the local public school. And now <laughs> it seems everywhere I look, you got private schools and charter schools and public schools and Montessori schools and home schools and a lot of options. And um, I'm sure some are better than others, but are any of them? Um, I yeah. think there will always be, always be ones that are, are better than others. Right. Does it well, but are they approaching the education differently? I know some of them are. I know Montessori definitely has yeah. a different approach. Um, but but – but going back to technology, I don't know if it was technology is the biggest thing, but really more um, the information available, right? And how quickly it was available. Yeah. Um, yeah. How many how many programs and uh, and, and we, we did get into that and start using that more, and I think that was helpful, especially with kids that were coming in with maybe a better um, knowledge base of technology than some of their teachers, mm-hmm. just because oh, of yeah, when they were true. born and yeah. whatnot. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So I don't know here. I mean, the the primary purpose of education, if we go back to that 1920 schoolroom or whatnot, I mean, before schools, what people did their local trade or farmed or whatever it may be, uh, did whatever initiative was around. Hmm. I don't know. I, but, do you go back? I mean, what do you call it? What do you define as the beginning? Because there's a there's a point in history where we had public education, right? Hmm. But there was a long time before that where plenty of kids were going to school, or they yeah. had a mentor or tutor. Uh, I mean, you can go back to the Roman period, right, where yeah. uh, wealthy families would hire a tutor. Right. You know, think of Aristotle or Plato. A lot of them would teach at a school of philosophy, yeah. and they would take students. And while they they those students would learn what today we think of as philosophy, but they learn other things too. Right. So schooling, you know, the idea of learning uh, to be a better person, to be a better citizen, to learn skills goes back way before what we what we're talking about, which is public education. The idea that everyone right. should be educated in a similar manner or with a similar skill set or a similar knowledge base. So I think those are two different things, like there public education, are. but then just education in and general. learning in general. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad you brought that up because it's something I want to circle back to. Um, the importance of, you know, that some of that philosophical learning and good, you know, becoming a good citizen. I mean, what is the goal of our education? What are its priorities? And has that changed? Should they change? Should they be more fluid? Yeah. So when you talked about the goals, I, I immediately thought, are we talking about public education? Are we talking about Testing? learning and education <laughs> as a whole, right? You know, like why? Yeah. Because I think they do have different goals. You know, public right. education doesn't necessarily have the same goals as a university would or uh, yeah. education did a thousand years ago or something like that. Well, it has a very specific purpose now in countries. Now, let's just take the United States. Do you think that – what do you think is the main goal? Is it to prepare them for the workforce? Know. You know, I've, I've had – my wife is a teacher too uh-huh. right? and she teaches uh, elementary. 
And we've had the same debate. What is the goal of education? Because yeah. when you when you shouldn't that be really clear? It should, but I think it's <laughs> that not everybody easy. involved, it's not easy. only the students but the teachers and administrators. It's, it's, I think it's different because people yeah. have different goals. I think one goal can be it prepares you for the workplace, right? And I think that yeah. that is one important goal that I would argue, right? Uh, it's important. Is yeah. that That's you're right. prepared to be um, a productive, a healthy and productive person. Right. Right. So so you can find work that sustains you, that you can provide for a life that you want and mm. it provides skills that you need to be successful in whatever you choose. So I think right. that that is one goal that is valuable, right? And mm-hmm. I think like you you had talked about trades, right? So uh, what was the goal of the tr- learning a trade or being in a guild or something like that? It was to, like to learn a trade that you could then provide a life for. Right. So I think that's part of that's the very goal of education, you know, like Yeah. Why are we pushing something like engineering or computer computer science into high school and middle school? Mm-hmm. Well, because those are the the skills and the knowledge that's needed for a lot of uh, careers today that are in demand. Right. right. So, so that inherently is one of the goals because that's why we're pushing things like STEM down into K through twelve because right. it's like, we're, hey, you're going to need those skills. Right. Because all these jobs that are in demand, you need that skill. Yeah. So I think that's one goal. Is to prepare you for the workplace, right. or to to be a productive citizen, right? And I, that's, I that's not the only goal. No, but I think a lot of people agree that they probably feel that's the main goal. I mean, you go to school to prepare for the next step of school to prepare for. I would say it should be the main. Trade. Yeah, yeah. I would say, but if you right. if you went down that road and said that's the main goal, mm-hmm. I would say school would be vastly different, right? right. Because if It'd be fat. It would be different. It would be much different if that was the main goal. And how would it be different? Uh, you know, I I thought about this. Like I had the same discussion with Lisa, my yeah. wife, right? Because I think if the main goal is to, to learn – Lisa, thank you for letting Brett come. <laughs> You're the best. <laughs> she's listening right now. No, no she's not. Um, I think it would be different because then all of the skills that you learn, right. the knowledge and the skills that you learn would be towards us. It would be really – you'd have to look at it through a lens of is this going to be – useful? Is this going to be uh, valuable in a profession or a, a job or something? And not everything that you learn in high school is, you know, and some right. of it is, let's take, you know, like was probably a very common that gets beat up a lot or something is like you're, you're learning Shakespeare or yeah. something, right? You have to read Romeo and Juliet in ninth grade because that's just what we do. Yeah. We've been reading Romeo and Juliet in ninth grade at the school for 20 years. That's the ninth grade test. Right. So you ask yourself, could you ask yourself, why do we have to learn this, Mr. Mm-hmm. E? You know, and, you know, if if you go down the path of the lens of like for the workplace, you say, well, you're going to need the you're going to need to learn how to, to read and analyze what someone had said and how they made an argument or predict what people are, are thinking for the workplace. Right. But it's right. A kind of it's a tough sell. It's a yeah. tough sell to take it's like literature. It's not a literature. real obvious connection. It's not a very obvious connection where you're like. Uh, here's something you got to build, right. and you know here there, here's jobs where you build that. We're going to practice building a bridge and using physics to design a strong bridge. Right. Here's a job that does that. You know, like that's that's like a little direct. But right. I think something like Shakespeare is much more indirect in terms of the workplace application. It's still there, but I think right. it's a harder sell. Yeah. As an English teacher, right, you get asked that. You know, <clears> I think it is a little bit harder of a sell. It's the soft skills. Um, that you're trying to learn, critical thinking, communication. Right. Um, and, and with some of the – I mean math is obvious. I mean you, how, how it's going to be necessarily. Used. Well, and, and I, I think – If you take necess- any high school kid and <laughs> ask them how are you going to use linear equations, right? how many of them could tell you? Well, and that's a good point too when you get to certain levels of math. Um, but, but you can see how it could be used in a number of different jobs. Oh, for in, sure. In, in a broad range. But still – what I think, and and this is largely my fault as as a teacher. I only ever went to the principal and said, "Hey, what are our priorities? Why are we doing this?" I mean, we had our standards. Yeah. You know, we had standards we taught to, but the state's coming up with those standards, or the federal government's coming up with those standards. And what are their goals and priorities that they're building back from to get to those standards? You know, I think. I think having that available and obvious to administrators and teachers and students, you're going to get a lot more buy-in when you're all on the same page as far as the end goal. Um, and that's what end goal is, uh, career readiness, right? Yeah. I think a lot of times you hear college and career readiness. You know, like, right. 
uh, CCR, college and career readiness. Sorry, we're getting ready for college and career readiness. So right. if you put it through the lens of that, you'd have to go through every one of those standards and say, is this getting them ready for a career? Mm-hmm. And how well can you really make that connection? And some things I think you can and some you can't. But even if even if – let's take like linear equations or um, polynomials or something. Right. If you ask the math teacher, how do you apply this to the real world, how many math teachers could really tell you? Right. What careers use that still skills? How if you they become a math used? teacher. If you became a math teacher, it's <laughs> more likely – not necess- You know, I've met a lot of math teachers and they're really good ones. Yeah. They do know and they, you know, they know really well how it's used. They, could, they even talk to people in the profession. Yeah. But a lot of times I think, you know, teachers go in because they like they, – they were good at school. Uh, they were yeah. good at yeah. math. I, I, I was good at math. So I'm going to be a math teacher right. because I like that, that. I like my teacher in math. I was good at it, so it made me feel good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. Yeah. So it, you know, it doesn't make necessarily make you. It's because you like math, right. right? So some of the toughest teachers that I think I've worked with or interviewed, you can tell they're they're really in it because they like the subject area, right? And that doesn't really make you a good teacher. Yeah. I think that's really that's if you had to make of what makes a good teacher, that's I think pretty pretty lower on the list, right? Um. I think so college readiness uh, – college and career readiness is one goal. But I don't think it's the only goal. Another right. goal I think – and you can set – take a kindergarten, right? Mm-hmm. How much would you say they're learning kindergarten that's useful for career? You know, a lot of what they're learning is socialization. Definitely. How to work in a society. How to mm-hmm. work, I guess, you know, those are things useful in a career. How to work with other people. Yeah. How to – I think they're very helpful uh, and and maybe that education is stopped short in first for sure. and second grade. Oh, for sure. Maybe that should be a bigger part of third through 12th grade. Oh, and it is. I think it's absolutely <laughs> becoming because, you know, one of the big movements in at least high school is um, those four Cs, critical thinking, communication, collaboration, creativity, right? Uh, I like those. So it's, it's not about the content knowledge. Right. It's about those skills that you how do how do you play well with Johnny over there? Yeah. That skill of collaboration yeah. that you're learning in kindergarten, I'm trying to teach my five year old. Yeah. You know, is the same skills you learn in high school. How do you collaborate? Yeah. Right. It's just at a different level. You know. Right. Now it's like how do you resolve confrontation? How do you how do you have equal work between group members? How do you have right. shared responsibility? Blah blah blah. Right. How do you yeah. lead other people? How do you convince them of the right way to go? But those are all collaboration. Right. So I think those skills are still in education. But I think often what happens when you get to like high school, I'm only talking as a high school teacher. Oftentimes it becomes the content becomes the focus. Well, you know, it's really important that they, right. they need to know this. They just need to know the causes of World War II. They yeah. need to know. They got to know it. And if they don't know it, God, we're doomed. Yeah. The whole world is doomed. But I, I think if you – those skills that you learn way back when are just as important yeah. when you get older. Well, I love those four seeds you brought up um, because and I forgot who told me it, it doesn't matter, you know, if you know something as long as you can find out, as long as you can find out, as long as you know where to find that information. Oh, for sure, it's much different <laughs> than it used to be, and that's why. Yeah, the role of the teacher should change because right. you know when you look back at even our education, the teacher often was the source of knowledge. Right. You know they because you couldn't go look up information as well. Okay, you had that old textbook that was your source of knowledge. Yeah. Right? But today, you don't have to be the source of knowledge. There's, you have the internet. You know. Right. So like kids can just look. It's. A, can you teach them how to find information? Mm-hmm. You're no longer the source of the information. You're a facilitator right. for the learning process. Uh, and I think that's that's not always easy for a teacher. So that's a note I have, which I think is, to me, it seems crazy obvious when we have the internet we have today is take any uh, year in subject, take seventh grade, what do they take for math in seventh grade? Algebra? Pre-algebra, yeah. <laughs> so seventh grade algebra, somewhere in the United States is the best seventh grade algebra teacher. Is there any reason in this day and age for every kid in America not to have that person teaching them that content because of the way they teach it? Now, mm. you still need teachers, but like you, we were talking about their role changing it's more, um, maybe more, not mediating, but they're there to clarify information, answer questions. If because I mean, obviously they can't yeah. all ask that one teacher questions. But I think that's uh, when you said what. Well, what makes that a really good teacher? 
And some of those skills might be scalable. So like you're saying, like let's, let's right. imagine that that teacher could work with 100,000 kids. Yeah. In, in, in some way, they had virtual reality. They can just sit in the classroom or something. Right. Uh, maybe it's just a uh, YouTube video. Maybe a YouTube video. Some of yeah. her skills as a teacher would translate to a YouTube video. Perhaps yeah. her – her ability to pace her instruction or give model give model examples, mm-hmm. um, get, break a, a, a complex concept down to smaller chunks. Right. Those are those are skills probably you could show, and that's why when you have good instructional videos, you can you can learn from them. Like right. how many of us have used YouTube to like sure. do plumbing or something, right? Yeah. Because they they. But the, what makes that teacher <laughs> good is not. Um, just that there's other skills. Yeah, uh, it could be giving feedback, right? Mm-hmm. If you, if you're yeah. a good teacher, you can give students feedback in a way that that won't crush them, and it will push them to be better. Right. But it will be constructive. It will be kind. It'll be specific. And it'll be helpful. So how do you how do you scale that to a hundred thousand? And and I think that would still be a role for the in person classroom teacher. I guess what I'm thinking is. Um, I mean, you've seen TED Talks, right? You have these people that can relay information um, and and complicated information to simpletons like me, whether it's a really good metaphor or because they know the information inside and out. They're good at presenting information and having an audience grasp uh, complex concepts. And and they have the resources or the the production quality even just to grasp attention. That happens in the classrooms right now. A good a good yeah. teacher will use those resources to show students that video, or the kids will be on one one to one laptops where they all have laptops and they'll watch the instructional video. Yeah. But it's not like that's make that's not what makes good learning. Uh, it's that you're just presented some information. It's now can you apply that information? Can you give feedback to others? Right. Uh, can you if you run into a problem, how do you solve it? You know, so just those skills that you would have gotten in that TED talk is really really good at presenting information. Yeah, but that's not. Really, how we learn, I think, is not the main way. Yeah, uh, and that actually, that's almost a step backwards because that's what the teacher would do fifty years ago: is they would present information to everyone, and, and you were supposed to just inhale it. You're like right. you're just supposed to just take in all this knowledge. But there is someone who's best at presenting it. So you show you have <laughs> that person uh, do five ten minutes on a video. Yeah, that's they're really good and at presenting the information. And then your role as a teacher is not that. Your role right. is a facilitator uh, of small group work, of the collaboration, of the feedback that students are giving each other. Or you bring in guest speakers or experts from the field to to give right. a, a point of view that they wouldn't have gotten. There's right. so much more that you that that video. You know, the presenting information is just one part. I think as a teacher. Sure. And so when you're talking about like uh, teachers' roles changing, it's more of going from being just a presenter. To all those different um, kind of roles, the, the feedback and then the the follow up and the, yeah, what's that old saying? Uh, mm-hmm. Sage on the stage, you know. We're, you're, as a teacher, you're not on the stage as the sage of knowledge, like you know everything. Oh, and they're right. coming to you to know. You're a facilitator, yeah. And there will be a good video out there that really explains cell mitosis, yeah, better than you could do. So why not just use that? Because right. Your role now is, hmm, how, how, do they, how do people use cell mitosis in the real world? Who yeah. can I bring in for, as a biologist or a, a chemist or who, who uses this knowledge in the real world and how can right. I have them interact with my students? How can I design a learning experience where they have to use what yeah. they just learned in that 10-minute video to do something? Or how can I go uh, deeper? How can I go deeper than that video? Yeah. Or how can I, how can I even de- <clears throat> determine if anybody learned anything? Right. You know, because the video is not going to do that. It's going to present information. Yeah. So how do I know if anyone even learned anything? Right. Because that might not have been the best way for for some of the students to learn. Right. They might they might need to learn hands on, small group application. You know, that's you know, often as teachers we teach in the way that we learn best, right? And and a lot yeah. of times we learn best by reading mm-hmm. or by listening. Because if you think back to our schooling, how did we we read a textbook and we listened to the teacher and we took notes, right? Yeah. Okay, so so we became good at school because that's how we learn best. And then when we became teachers, well, we we teach in the way that we learn. Right. But not all students no. learn that way. Yeah, I remember so that you, VAC training was really popular mm-hmm. when I was in there just to try to make sure we're getting to the most amount of students. The yeah, now I think it's a universal design ways. for learning. Yeah. Have you ever heard UD, UDL? Uh, how is that um, different from VAC? I'm not too familiar with VAC, but Universal Design for Learning is – That's just a visual, um, auditory, kinesthetic oh, yeah, okay, one. Okay. Yeah. It's, it is 
a little bit like that. Basically, one of the principles is uh, teaching in multiple ways, right? You yeah. know, like you're present, mm-hmm. you might present information in a variety of ways, right? Because you're kind of assuming that you're going to have a mixed audience. You know, basically, not everyone's going to learn in the same way. Huh. It's that's interesting. Sorry, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just sitting here, just enthralled. A um, couple of words came to my life coach. Rich, very enthralled. Yeah. A uh, couple words, life coach. As a teacher, how much of a life coach are you really for to help the kids learn? Yeah, I think yeah. that does become – you know, I think it goes back to your original comment. You know, if you look at it, uh, our, our young children, they spend all their time with their parents. And then when they right. get to school, they spend a majority of their day with uh, uh, different adults, uh, teachers, you know. So those adults naturally become influential in more ways than just learning. Sure. Because kids have problems outside of learning. And right. They, sure. they look to who in their life can help them. And if, you know, when you think of yourself as a kid, who in my life can help me? It's my family probably, hopefully. You know, uh, and then who are the other adults that I see a lot and it's teachers. So I think it's, it's natural that your teachers, your coaches become mm-hmm. a life coach because yeah. – you spend so much time with them that their problems they they look for help. You know, when I taught high school, the kids would come to me with with adult problems. You know, like right. I'm pregnant or yeah. my boyfriend did this, and what do I do? And you know, it's you know, very adult problems. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was you know initially as a new teacher, it's like this is this is really <laughs> this isn't what I learned I in college. Know, I, 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 <laughs> I need to go talk to your parents about that. Well. I have a class on this, right? Um, so I think you do become that, and, uh, but it is a very it's a difficult place to be because it is a fine line. You know, there's definitely, and you've heard plenty of stories where teachers go too far. Right. You know, and as a, I guess, what would you call a life coach? Yeah. yeah. They go too far in trying to, I don't know, educate or, or guide a student in areas that really are outside their expertise or yeah. outside the yeah. place where it's really their their place to influence. I don't know. I think it's tough. Huh. Um, but you do. There's there's even, of course, there's child protective. Yeah. Uh, child safety, or you, right. you have an obligation for some things, right? Yeah. Um, but other things, students will come to you for personal problems. You know, you'll see the kid who who uh, he gets bullied, or, or he has a hard time working with others. Yeah. And you're, it's not about like what you're teaching Shakespeare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's about helping them be a better person and other skills. Uh, it's almost there's a lot in common with parenting. It's like yeah. you're teaching the whole child. There's a there's a big movement in education right here. Teach a whole child, right? right? And that, that's the concept of like more than just the content, the standards, the the skills and knowledge. You're trying to teach everything that makes someone a good person. But that's a that's a kind of a big task right. to take on. So that that brings a couple of things to mind. Is one we were talking about, you know, those those traits we think were most important for kids, and and you know, teaching those beyond just just the home, which I think. Now, I think our children are very lucky to have that great support system at home and growing up, and they don't all have that. Oh, yeah. So I think that's super important for all kids, but for some kids even more so. But kind of going back to what you were speaking of, and I'm really glad you brought it up, was um, was it in ancient Rome or whatnot – you know, their idea of education was vastly different. It, it was about education. It wasn't about what you were going to do with it or making sure you could get a job to. No, no, no. It was about education for education's sake. It was it was that moral, uh, philosophical exactly. bent. The part that you're talking about, character, yeah. character, uh, learning character. I don't yeah. Know. That. That is what it entirely was about. It was like you would go to Plato or Aristotle's school of philosophy um, and you would learn about character traits, virtue. Right. Uh, and you would learn – that's where all of the lessons were like typically like moral lessons or like how to view the world, how to deal with wealth or death, mm-hmm. uh, how to deal with these things that – it wasn't about like a set of knowledge and skills. It was more around character development. It was huge. That's what it was because right. – I, it was different, you know. I think I think part of it was a huge lesson too. Is like you know, the, they recognized wealthy families back then. Recognized like our kids need these character traits. Right. It's more important that they learn how to think critically, how to problem solve, how to communicate, how to, um, you know, also to be a virtuous person, a good citizen, um, than just like how to use Pythagoras' theorem. You know, there's more to life than that. So do you, do you think it was uh, the that society at that time had different priorities? Yeah. I mean, 
I, it's not the same. You know, when you think about U.S. right, yeah. and public and, education, and we're also talking about probably the top one percent of them. So right. I mean, the other ninety nine percent probably they were concerned they about getting a like job a and surviving. And, 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 yeah, but but I think this comes back to in, but it, in, that actually really influences us, right? Because actually, it's it's deep in the core of education. Because even oh, sure. today, you think of what is, where does a liberal arts education come from? Right. Where does that come from? Way back, thousands of years, yeah. the idea that you would learn. A little bit of math, a little yeah. bit of English, a little bit of a foreign language, a little bit of science. Be you, would, you would be a well-rounded. You know, that goes way back to those schools, thousands of years, this idea that you're going to learn a little bit of everything to make you right. well-rounded. That is – that's deep into like our, our idea of education too. So there's a goal of college and career readiness. But I think another goal is to be a well-rounded person and citizen. Right. And that's why it's, it's – you know, it's big in colleges too, right? You know, like I, at least in me, I, I took college and, you know, your first two years – a lot that that's the idea. You need to take one science class. You need to take one math class. You need to take one class in this this bucket in this bucket. Mm-hmm. Well, why? If I'm going right. to be a computer engineer, mm-hmm. why? None of that. None of that going to help me. Right. But that wasn't a goal. The goal was to make you a well-rounded citizen, um, to make you knowledgeable in a variety of ways. And it's really not a bad thing because you know you look at some of the great uh, innovators. You know, take it Steve Jobs, right? Yeah, he cites a lot of the the learning outside of what he did to influence his design. You know, sure. he took a he took a class in I think uh, typography, uh, which and, like, is it's like writing in like different way different um, different fonts, uh, character hmm. spacing between the characters, and like all the all the work that we put in like language and typography, the simplicity of the design. Has nothing to do with like making a good phone, but later when he went to like to do that, he could apply what he learned in that class of like simple design. Sure, could be best, right? Or like um, if you make something too complicated, it's difficult. Right. Um, so he 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 referenced that uh, some of the there, there's actually I forget the study. I'm, I'm not prepared for this, uh, but there's a prepared. there's a really interesting <laughs> study that, that looked at all these um, the Germany won the World Cup, right? Mm-hmm. And they looked at uh, what made these athletes really good and they looked at the other teams. And one of the things that was different about the German team was that they, they looked at how many how many sports that they played when they were younger yeah. and how many years they spent in these different sports. Yeah. And they by far had more time spent in other sports than other uh, teams. Other teams, it was like you're, you're on a Brazilian team. It's like you played soccer and yeah. that's all you did. But like when you're in Germany, it's like you did three or four different sports. Yeah. And part of what they attribute that to is like because you had a wide base of knowledge. Yeah. That you could apply things in innovative ways. Right. You learn some skills in, I don't know, baseball or tennis or something. So mm, maybe if I try this thing in soccer, yeah. you know, so you could apply things outside of that one field right. to a new field. I think it was Malcolm Gladwell that mentioned that in one of his books that a he lot did. of successful people were, um, yeah, in, into multiple sports before, except for some very specific sports like golf or something like that. Maybe, Ken, we, maybe uh, we had this discussion. Ken Robinson before. too. He talked about it in creativity. Like okay. often what makes something creative is taking something from one field yeah. and applying it to a different field. Right. Because if you only ever know civil engineering, yeah, uh, it's tough to innovate. But if you know all these other things and you can say, hmm, how could what I learned in this, I don't know, art class apply to civil engineering? Oh, if I, you know, right. like you're taking things in other fields that no one ever thought could apply to this yeah. field. A lot of creative stuff comes from that. Well, and I, I definitely think being a well-rounded person is good for you – just for your overall happiness level, even outside of the workplace, but could definitely, you know, yeah. and, and regardless of what you do, can make you a better at whatever you do. But I feel like we keep coming back to it doesn't feel like the goals are, and, and maybe they are. I mean, I'm sure somewhere the Department of Education has very well written uh, out yeah, yeah, goals yeah. for the for sure. country. And, and that's maybe that's what I should be doing. That would be interesting to see what they have listed out. And um, I think part of the problem is that there's a lot of goals. Yeah, maybe too many. When we all make plans, it's hard to focus on many, a lot of things. Sure, uh, you're not focused on anything. Right. Actually, you know, the definition of focus is to to like to foc- to have a narrow focus to zoom in on something. Right. So yeah. if you have 50 goals, how it's no longer right. you don't longer have a focus on anything. And so and if you're trying to you college shouldn't. and career readiness, and you want to be a well-rounded citizen. Yeah. Uh, and you got four other goals. It's right. like that's really hard to achieve everything. Well, and, and maybe it should. Well, maybe an ideal world, and maybe it used to be. Maybe school was for more uh, career readiness because I think maybe more of the character building was done at home. 
or was reinforced yeah. more by society itself and um, maybe – Maybe is it, it's unfair and is it the to place task of public education, education with to that? Do that. I don't even know. Maybe it's not, but if it's not happening it's elsewhere, not happening at home, where else do you get it? Yeah, right. I mean, I mean that was part of the goal, right? Is yeah. that we want people to be well-educated citizens and think of the dem- democracy, right? Right. And you know, you know, I think if you go back to the founding fathers, it was like, well, we want well-rounded citizens who are informed that right. would make good choices for themselves and for the nation. Well, it's hard to do that if you don't know anything about anything, right? right? So. You'd want part of education is from the government's perspective. I would imagine, I guess, idealistically, is you'd want well-rounded citizens so they would make good choices for for <laughs> government and resources and how we spend our resources. You know, and they would, yes, and ideally yes. they would use that knowledge to vote in ways that would lead to better yeah, things. Right, and it's hard to do that if you don't know anything about anything. Um, right. You know, but part of it, another goal is too, is like preparing people for. Well, we're no longer preparing people for what it was originally for. It was like a factory, you know. So, right. Like this, this whole factory. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Like the factory mentality, right? There's yeah. There's separate classrooms for Ken Robinson did a really great video on this, um, called "Shifting the Paradigm," hmm. and it's about the idea that you know a lot of public education is based on the factory model, right? We yeah. have separate class, separate. Places for boys and girls. We have separate classrooms for math and English. Yeah. And we have a bell system. Ding, the bell goes. You move uh, on to your next place, yeah. your next station of work. Right. Uh, you do some work. Ding, the bell goes. You move on to your next station of work. What does that remind you of? Right. The factory back then, right? So yeah. it was preparing a huge swath of people that mm-hmm. needed to be able to work in that like systematic way to to be – to be successful in a factory. Yeah. You can't just go into a factory and just like do whatever you want and be a you know, you're not Steve Jobs would not have been known well in a factory, right? Uh, <laughs> you need to do this one task for a long period of time when the bell rings, you move on to a new task. Yeah. So part of school is to prepare them for jobs that a majority of people were people do. were in demand. Right. But that's not what's in demand anymore. Like we hmm. don't we don't need that job anymore. And and, and that probably has changed just in the last, what would you say, thirty years? Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, it's hard to turn that boat maybe that quickly. Maybe it is going that way. And so that's that's promising if it is. Um I think there's a, a lot yeah. of great stuff that's happening out there. But I think part of the challenge is it's like drops in an ocean. Public education yeah. is such a huge system across America. I, I would be curious to see what the statistics are, how many high schools there really are. Yeah. So you're trying, like you had said, it's like trying to move the Titanic or something. It's right. Like, so you could have pockets of innovation mm-hmm. in different places across the country. And you see a lot of good work out there. You know, like uh, Bill and Melinda Gates will seek out these little mm-hmm. pockets of innovation and they'll try and push money into it and, and foster that. But I think part of the problem, and, and they even recognize this, like scalability. How do you take those little pockets of innovation? This right. one teacher this doing great work, this one school doing great work. How do you replicate that or how do you scale that to every school? Well, I think that's something too is um – you talk about the massive size of it, even if the Department of Education did, and I'm assuming they do, have these goals for the country's education system. Uh, but then we're talking about individualized learning yeah. <laughs> down to the single kid. And we're talking about millions of kids. And then you know, really I, each kid should be making their own goals, right? Wow. And should have be on their own path and be guided on For that sure. path. That's a huge movement right now too is personal, personalized yeah, learning. And but, technology allows that a lot more than it used to be. Yeah. Right? So if you, you were teaching 50 years ago, how the hell are you going to personalize this? Like, right. It's very hard to do. But now I think you, you can do it more. You know, one thing I thought about that probably makes that ship hard to move. Yeah. You think of uh, economics, right? Um the influence of like a market economy. Okay, you take cell phones, right? Uh, the iPhone comes out, and it, it revo- you know is so dramatically different than the other phones that were on the market mm-hmm. that you didn't need some big initiative. You know, like consumers naturally just started moving to this product because it was just so different, it was so light innovative, and so light years ahead. <laughs> the whole market shifted. Yeah. Okay. Well, what's the market for education? How can a student or a parent choose? What's the best school when the only choice in that they have is the one that's given to them? The market forces that are typically influencing this microphone, this uh, this this uh, phone, these genes of right. whatever the best product is will rise to the top yeah. because we as consumers will you know take a, take a large group of consumers, you know, yeah. like thousands, millions, will naturally start to choose the best products and they right. will gravitate towards the top. Well, how does that happen in education when you're not really choosing? You're you're given. 
the best you're given the school that's near you and that's that. Well, and maybe going back to what I was saying before is there are a lot more options now than when I was young, I guess. So maybe that's I promising think, with the charter schools. I think that's schools promising the in the sense it the has this schools. Um, has this influence? Yeah, there's a lot. You know, I think that's a very political topic. You know, because you know, like it's very sure because it's funding and stuff. Um, I just think the idea of giving choices and allowing the the best to 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 attract students, right? It's good. You know, like for my own kid, I want the, every every parent wants their kid to have the best, right? And if you have a choice between three, you're going to ask yourself which of the three is best, right? But if you have a choice between one or you have no choice. You're given one. That's just what you get. Right. And then what, what's the incentive to improve too? So like the market forces, so like Nokia or Google or Apple, they all have a really big incentive to make their product the best right? because the customer is just going to walk away. So how do you walk away yeah. from a school if that's the only school? So I think some of it, presenting all those choices, kind of forces every school to say, damn, we better get our shit together Yeah, because if we don't, our kids are going to be attracted to another school that might be better. So we better be damn good. And I so I would hope had, that rises the whole tide right, of education. Eventually. And, and maybe that has. And, and maybe we're, we're nitpicking to some degree wanting to continually get better. And I think what you're talking about, the market forces, that's probably been around uh, in the college arena for a while. Oh, I for mean, sure. I mean, Harvard versus community sure. college or whatnot. But you know what I kind of wonder? Well, Harvard versus Stanford. <laughs> Take the yeah. Ivy Leagues. They compete within each other. All the time to attract the best scientists to have the yeah. best equipment because we know if we don't do this, we're not going to get the grant funding. We're not going to get the students and we won't be able to survive right. as a school. Yeah. We won't be able to survive if we can't attract the best students uh, that can pay us and, and have a school. OK, well, that doesn't happen in K-12 if you're like – our kids are coming to us no matter what right. because we're the only choice in the game. Yeah, and everyone, you know, needs an option. Right. It's now, not where I could be very biased because yeah. I I worked in a charter school, right? mm-hmm. so I think I have some bias. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. We all have bias. <laughs> huh. I did work in a public school too. So, yeah. and I I think part of that experience gave me seeing. I wouldn't say the apathy, or definitely, there's great teachers in every school. Right. Yeah, and, and you know what? In all my experience f- between the business world and the teaching world, I was really impressed with the majority of teachers. I think it's a job. I think, I think too. Yeah. That if you're not there for the right reasons, oh, it's really you're not bad. gonna want to stay. Yeah. So you're not gonna stay for very long. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, think yeah. of the harm that you could do to other people if you're not there for the right reason. If you're right. mean to kids, you know, think back to your own memories of uh, of school. Mm-hmm. It's usually the best and worst that you remember. It's the teacher that really sure. was was good or was really bad, and yeah. it could really have a negative influence on a, a person's life in teaching. Yeah. But if you're working in a factory and you make, uh, have a high error rate on making some widget, uh, and it, it, maybe it's caught down the line or something, that's bad yeah. for you. And it's mm-hmm. bad for the company, but you're not like really hurting a person. Some deep their deep core, but as a as a teacher, you like you had said, you're a life coach. Right. Well, with that comes a huge sense of responsibility. Yeah. And if you're not up for it, you probably shouldn't do it. Uh, yeah. Which which is another thing I thought was interesting um, on the teaching profession is you get a lot of these people who who go to school for teaching. You know, might do a semester of student teaching, but don't get a really good feel for it until they have their degree. Yeah, in our, I mean, that's in the a whole lot. We could spend an hour talking about that. Is, that is a sad I, thing. It's, it's very sad because, you know, it's the same for me. It's like you go into teaching and you really don't get a sense of what the classroom is like or your role until like the very end. But you already invested four years. Right. So you're kind of uh, – it's almost like a sunken cost fallacy, right? Yeah. So you've sunk a lot of costs yeah. into being a teacher. Yeah. And then by the time you get to student teaching, it's like – Shit, I already spent three years, four years, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars. Right. I, I'm not. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna see this out. You know, and some people they do have. I don't know walls to just be like the same for me, and then they leave. Yeah. But I think a lot of times it's like, well, I'm gonna finish this out, even though I, I already start to see the signs that yeah. this might not be for me. But it's kind of too late. Well, and I think you mentioned it before. Is is you've talked to a lot of teachers that seem more interested in the subject matter than in teaching. And yeah, I they're think in a lot of people reason, are yeah. drawn to. Teaching because I, think the worst I, I love I heard, the subject uh, matter, you know? Yeah. You know, I, the worst I think I heard was uh, summer vacations. Mm-hmm. I had a teacher one time in an interview. What attracted you to being a teacher? Summer vacations. I said summer vacations. <laughs> and I was like, are you, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? 
And I think they said it in a way jokingly. Uh, yeah. But I guess what is that? There's always <laughs> There's a little truth, truth every in jo- every joke, <laughs> right? And I was like, come on. I mean. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. I understand. It. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is nice. That but, is you know, you pay a price for that. Sure. Your days are long. Right. You know, yeah. during the school year, you're checking, you're working on the weekend, you're taking papers, you're preparing lesson plans. Mm-hmm. It's not like an entire job. You're taking a lot home with you. are taking a lot home. You're a lot on the weekend. So, so it's, it is a, you know, yeah, it is great that you have some time off. And it, that is a benefit. You should look at a job and say, what are the, yeah. what are the, the benefits for you, right? Is it, is it good pay? Is it, is it medical benefits? And, and the time off, you know, so that, it's sure. fair to look at that, right? Right. But that certainly shouldn't be the only <laughs> the thing. The motivating, the number one Because priority. you won't be happy. You know, like no one is happy if you decide. For three months. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anyone that chooses any career based on just the pay benefits and time off is sure. really a bad way to, to live your life. Yeah. Because that wears off mm-hmm. real fast. Um, what's that called? The hedonic treadmill where like. Oh, you keep pushing it up you the keep hill? Pushing, yeah. It, yeah. You keep pushing, yeah. You keep pushing up. So you're like, that man, that job has great benefits and pay great. But as soon as you get it, you're comfortable for a little while. And yeah. then you start wanting more. Yep. And then you get comfortable and you want more. So it's a never-ending treadmill. Yeah. So it's not That's a good way to – kind of human nature too. It though. is human nature. That's where it comes from. Yeah, it's human yeah. nature. Totally. So it's not a good way. You should choose something that is rare and valuable and yeah. interesting. Yeah. Can everyone do that? No. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I, yeah. I think maybe. <laughs> I think maybe it's can you get interested in things that are rare and valuable. I always – I don't know. It's, per, it's more off topic I guess. But yeah. I always felt that – if you did any job well, you should be – why does everyone need to be a nuclear scientist or a podcaster or a glamorous job and movie actor? Right. If you if you are a, a garbage disposal specialist or, or, or some garbage work, I don't know what the, what's sure. called. Why not live Sanitation a Sanitation engineer. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, they changed the title, of course. Um, but why can't you live a happy and fulfilling life with that? Why do you – you know, if you did good, honest work – yes. You, Why can't you be happy you with You can and you should and it comes down to so many factors. It comes down to um, you may be I feel happy like I want, to be, I want to be the type yeah. of person that could be happy with any job. Yeah. Because my goal would be to be, to be really good, to be so yeah. good at whatever that is, right? And, and, well, yeah. and you know what I found? I, and that in itself is enjoyable. Sure. The different jobs I've had, it's more of a matter of your attitude, how much effort you're putting into the job, how you're treating yeah. the people around you sure. as opposed to the job itself. So what I just described is the attitude. You know, like yeah. you walk into it saying that I'm going to just be really good at this. I'm going to find out yeah. what, what – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find what I can do to be really good. I'm going to struggle with that and I'm right. going to be the best that I can be at whatever yeah. that job is. You know, like my first job was um, – pushing carts in the grocery store mm-hmm. and bagging groceries. Yeah. But I wanted to do that really well. I guess it sounds, I don't know, naive at this, when you're 30. But I was like, I just want to be good at this. I, I sure. felt a sense of accomplishment just being good yeah. at this well, very be there job. for eight hours, why not do it well? Exactly. And, and I felt it, a right? sense of accomplishment even from something really simple. You know, you bag somebody's groceries, you put the sure. heavy stuff in the bottom, lay stuff at the help, and the person says, hey, great job. I was yeah. like, this is good. But I had other people my age, 14, that didn't give two shits, you know. They just throw everything in there. They get two carts in the, and then they park it back and have a smoke at the back of the yeah. parking lot. Yeah. I don't, so early on, I think a sense of work ethic is uh, established. I think it's it a sense of personality. Huge. I think that came up with uh, the traits we were. That's your traits. Talking about. Yeah. I think those traits were taught me very early on. Yeah. Very early on, yeah. you know, my dad was an electrician. He always worked really hard. It wasn't a glamorous job. He worked in a factory as an electrician, but I felt. From him that he was proud of what he did. Yeah. He was proud to show me what he did. He was proud of the skills that he had. Right. Uh, and I learned from that that you could be happy with any job. You know, right. I, I don't know. But uh, it's kind of off I, topic. I agree with that 100%. But that's not off topic because I think that goes back to the the Roman thing you were talking about where – a lot of it is about mindset, not only having oh, the knowledge sure. and being able to apply it, but having the mindset regardless of the environment. We were talking about this in traits is kind of being positive. You can be in the exact same position and have a negative outlook or positive outlook, and it's going to be the – that's going to be the deciding factor on whether you're happy or not, you know? I have mean, you ever heard of a, a stoic, stoicism? Um, I'm yeah. Sure I'm mispronouncing it. No, I think it's stoicism. The stoic. stoicism. Yeah, yeah it's kind of back in the day. Um, 
It was, and all of it was around like, how do you live a, a happy life, a, a virtuous life, right. a fulfilling life? And that's what they were trying to teach at school philosophy. That's kind of yeah. – it's not the same now. In philosophy, you go now and you're trying to learn a bunch of random stuff. Yeah. But back then, it was a lot more than just like how do you learn to be prepared to be a, a certain job. Right. That was really being a – what is it called? A journeyman, uh, uh, being a – Crafts, being in the crafts, being a part of a guild. Right. You know, like to be a blacksmith or something, yeah. you would be – what was that called? Journeyman. When you're trying to learn trades and you're trying, you're being mentored by somebody. Oh, yeah. It's um, like a journeyman, I think. Apprentice what or whatever. Apprentice, yeah. The apprenticeship. Yeah. Right. The idea of apprenticeship, right, is like you're learning a trade that's valuable, a rare and valuable skill that's going to give you a, a productive right. life. But f- the philosophy schools were different. It's like, no, no, we're going to teach you character traits, attitudes, mindset yeah. that will make you – Happy and Which successful. is a mixed bag because uh, sometimes ignorance is bliss and sometimes, yeah. But yeah. anyways, we just have a couple minutes. So I just want to touch on one thing and then recap because um, I think we've come back to it a couple times as far as uh, I think a huge part is kind of figuring out where we're going before working backwards on the education side. I mean, I think about if, if you get, I don't know how many millions of student-age kids are in the United States, uh, tens of millions. But if you think of each one of those as, um, you know, a computer or a robot, and for 18 years they're sitting there and we're inputting software into them, basically. And then when they graduate and go in the world, they're basically beginning to be operating off that software. That's going to be their operating system. I mean, what what are we what are we currently putting into those robots? And then yeah, yeah. I would hope part of it is college and career readiness, right? That's right. Part of it, but the other one is um, some of those other traits, character, yeah. uh, you know, creativity, communication. I think part of it too, when you think of a, a robot and training something and giving them software, right? I think it's more than that. It's uh, it's not just it's teaching them how to like more of an AI, like you you are running yourself. You yeah. learn how to learn as a learner. Oh, sure. You're going to so, use that and continue to right. evolve. So there's and no expand. way. I mean, we can't prepare kids for the jobs that will be there in 30 years because no. we don't even know what they are. So Correct. instead, it's like, no, I'm not going to give you software to be a, a scientist because I don't even know what the skill. I, the only skills right. that I know you'll need as a scientist is maybe yeah. some foundational stuff, right. but then other. Skills like problem-solving, critical yeah. thinking, or communication. But um, So let's make those the priority. When and, I think of tens of millions of kids coming out of high school, I'd almost rather them know n- nothing about these standards or whatnot. I'd almost rather have them have be uh, – I'd rather like, have them be passionate about something. Passionate, right? hardworking, like you were saying, right. honest. And, and all of those things have basically nothing to do with the standards that I've seen in the 12 years, 13 years that they're in school. But that's what I'd like to see just as a citizen that's going to live with these people yeah. and as a person who's going to hire people because I can teach them anything because, like you said, those jobs in 30 years or even nowadays are going to be different. But those those traits are still going to apply. For sure. So wh- I think passion where, is a big one too because yeah. there's, at least at the high school level, there's so many kids where I meet where they don't know what they care about yet. You know, they right. they haven't been exposed to a lot. They don't know what they're really passionate about. So, but care kind of about aimless. everything. Oh well, yeah, and, and, and I could do a way better job at that. Just being excited about life and being right. excited about the mundane or or finding For something sure. exciting about the mundane. You would like silk thought. That's all about uh, yeah. this idea of enjoying. Uh, everyday moments right um and being grateful for those right well that came back in traits you know i, I want genevieve to have the traits that are going to make her happy i think those are those are good traits yeah and and, and it it that's the, that's 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 the end goal is i think as a parent what you have to realize is education is not perfect and your job is to right. to fill in the gaps that education might not give you know so education may not have given yeah. them the critical thinking or whatever skill you see is lacking. Right. So your goal is to try and create good good experiences in life for them to get those skills that they might not have gotten there. Yeah. You know, maybe not they're not getting the collaboration in school. So maybe you, you encourage them to join a team sport or something like that. Yeah. So and recapping, that was awesome, Brett. I appreciate you being here. Sure. We're gonna have to do this again. I know I know you may not love talking about education, but you're amazing at it. <laughs> 
And Genevieve, just as a, a recap, um, I mean, something that you can kind of glean from this, I feel. Um, what character traits do you want to define yeah. you? Yeah, there, there's that. I think to some degree, your education, you got to take it in your own hands. What do you want to learn in life? Yeah, you use the resources that are available. Know that in today's world, all all the resources are out there, and it's kind of what you want to get out of them. Yeah. Uh, there, there was that line, and I think it was Goodwill Hunting, where they were up at Harvard or something. And uh, how do you like these apples? I think. Well, well he talks about it. He said, uh, uh, "You paid a hundred thousand dollars for education you could have got for thirty-five cents in late fees at your public library." <laughs> that's true. And, and and that's kind of it. I mean, the, the the knowledge is out there, and it's on you to take it and don't look at. But but do have you know some goals in mind? What are you trying to accomplish with your education? And you might um, need to play the game to get to the goals that you want to get yeah, to. Yeah, but know it's a game and don't game. get caught up in the game. Right. Because, but know that you might have to play it yeah. if you want to get to that goal. Yeah, yeah. And, and that may be a step towards the goal, right, unfortunately. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, anything you want to tell Elliot, Julian? <laughs> I think you summarized it well. Awesome. Well, that was a lot of fun. Genevieve, I uh, love you. And until next time, um, that's it.